Folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The Daily Ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing... Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by Toby Hooper, If Jacob's Ladder by Adrian Lin, The Cabin in the Woods by Drew Goddard, and then we have newly released Saul 10 by Kevin Grutert, and The Exorcist Believer, directed by David Gordon Green. It's going to be a great October episode here, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Hey, Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay for me. Yeah, this looks like a normal October week that I'm used to. <laughs> right, here. we've been all over the place in October. <laughs> Continually to be all over the place in October. I texted you earlier in the week, and yeah. I thought this was a good... I kind of like this list. Oh, I, I, I loved watching this week, even with... Um, you know, not to give away the goat, but, uh, you know, there's uh, some spotty reception of the new Exorcist. So. I know. At first I heard great. No, no, no. That's I'm you... sorry. I only heard bad things about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It was Saul 10 that I've actually heard some decent comments about. Right, right. I, I think um, fans of that franchise were kind of clamoring for, for something a little bit more, which, uh, you know. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it fared. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have the the classic 70, 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Jacob's Ladder. It was the only one I, did, I wasn't really familiar with on the list because yeah, because the cabin in the woods. I have heard from other people and you in the past that all of a sudden this one kind of came and it's actually mm. a pretty decent movie I yeah. heard about. So Yeah. Cabin in the Woods was something that we mentioned a lot more on earlier episodes of the I podcast. I think you have. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't remember what episodes they were, though. So, uh, <laughs> folks at home, if you're, if you're listening... Uh, Maybe if you could tell me which ones, <laughs> it's, if you have it off the top of your head without going through each of the each of the horror reviews, I think it might have been brought up in the Evil Dead reviews. I'm it ha- not sure it had to be the early ones, I think, because technically the podcast hasn't even been out for two years, mm. but we've had we have three Octobers under our belt, I believe. Yes, yes, and that's because just we came loaded with like twenty apps. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm excited to hear about The Cabin in the Woods, because you and I have actually not spoken about it. Was it on the master list? Uh, no, actually. I, oh, that's, see, that's, that's another that's, thing. That's that really was, I just kind of assumed it was rated. Okay. So, oh. I, and I like those. Yeah. Know? I'm glad we covered that then. Okay. Yeah. But let's jump back to 1974, because this is kind of a start of a genre. At least that's what mm. I kind of know 100%. it to be. 100%. This is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, Vin, how did you enjoy it? Well, uh, when it comes to horror icons, there is a long list of monsters that probably come to mind for you folks, but uh, as far as horror titles go, uh, few stand out as much as this movie. 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, the brutal cadence of this name feels almost destined to be one of the most famous horror movies ever made. And if I was going to skip the original Exorcist and Saw this week, I needed a heavy hitter. And that heavy hitter had to come out as, you know, without a doubt, one of the most famous horror films, uh, something that sprinkles many all-time greats, all to- you know, top 10 type of lists online, right. and legitimately something that I've never seen before. So I was very excited oh, for Oh, really? That. You never saw this one? No, no. I think uh, I might have closed my eyes through watching the 2000s remake as a kid. It was an uh, 03 one, I think. Yeah, yeah. Was but, there multi- uh, Are there like... That, I get kind of confused with the name mm. because it's not like there was a 2003 one yep. and it was just called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right, correct? Right, yeah. It just took the same name. Oh, uh, yeah. Were there others since then too? Uh, I don't think so. I think there are sequels, uh, but they're done like as like very much B-movies, uh, just kind of using it. Uh, I okay, don't really right. know this to be like a franchise that you got to do your series homework on or okay. anything like that. Gotcha. So, okay. It's yeah. not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, brand new chain or something. <laughs> brand new <laughs> Sharpen the ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Okay, cool. And and, and as I'll probably bring up on a few review, uh, reviews here, um, was not into watching all the Exorcists and all the Saw movies. Certainly okay. not ten Saw movies. So <laughs> you know, uh, only when cinematically necessary. That's going to be my new my new phrase. We'll give you the pass on that one. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this film um, is no stranger to many all-time great lists, like I said, but it lands on the list on on those lists with a fraction of the budget. This movie was made for less than 140k at the time, and while I usually don't touch on aspects like this in my reviews, I feel it's important to note with so much dialogue this year around movies not making their money back horror movies, mid-budget movies being successful. I I think it's just amazing that when you watch this movie, it's able to achieve so much atmosphere and so much horror Mm. uh, at... You know, I think the the converted budget for this is like 800K all said and done or something like that. I mean, it's amazing. It really is like one of those indie gems that is timeless and the budget doesn't translate to the quality whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, even even though it's what has it's it was for fifty years. Oh uh, yeah, right, yeah. forty nine years. Yeah, one hundred and four thousand. It, it's it's still not a lot at all back then. <laughs> right, still not right. a lot at all. Yeah, and, mo- and most of it, I believe, came came from the editing process that was uh, extended. Uh, which, hmm. uh, once again, uh, well worth it because I think the editing, believe it or not, is a highlight of this film. Oh, really? Uh, despite you know even being you know low on the budget uh, end as well, despite it you know taking up some of the, the the pie of the budget. I think not to mention here, 2023 being a landmark year for horror, which I say in complete honesty, folks, <laughs> almost every scary movie to come out this year could learn something from this, especially our two new slots this week. Texas Chainsaw Massacre centers on a group of hippies mid-road trip down south on a swelteringly, sweltering hot summer day. The further they get, the further society is in their rearview mirror. Calling their surroundings rural uh, doesn't really even come close here. Uh, and this is reinforced with every hick weirdo they find. You wouldn't know it, but the local flavor is blood. Uh, As this group of teens quickly spirals into a psychotic hell at the end of a whirring chainsaw. 
for the cinema history nerds out there, you could easily call this one of the first, if not the first, slasher movie. Mm. Uh, I'm assuming that's what you were kind of referring to earlier, uh, saying yeah, that definitely. this is a, a genre starter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, flashback to 1974, and this was pre-Halloween, pre-Friday Friday the 13th, or anything in this subgenre. And And actually what I found is... Uh, the term used back then was splatter film. Uh, Ooh, I kind of yeah, like that. I know, and, and I think it's an important little little small distinction uh, to it. Uh, I like that. Yeah. I really didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, we should bring that back. I think splatter film might have started in the UK because uh, I saw that it was connected to um, the video nasties when like they started calling films you know illegal to watch and whatnot. Okay. If they were too, if they were too much. But yeah, let me tell you, uh, you know, I, I, I like that term a lot more uh, for some reason. Slasher, for me, is paired with these horror icons, Myers, Jason, mm-hmm. Freddy. And, and while many fans adore Leatherface in this film as our chainsaw-wielding we- uh, mascot, the fear conjured in this movie is so much more environmental and distinct. Mm. Uh, and I think that's where I'm kind of coming away with liking this small but and may, you know maybe even useless distinction of a splash movie for this. This is a fantastic movie because it captures and amplifies the southern grotesque or southern gothic to mm. it. Folks, for any f- unfamiliar with the term, this is when stylistically the run-down or rural aspects of the South are emphasized. Now, it doesn't always have to be for horror. Uh, if anything, a great example is season one of True Detective. Uh, easily my running running title yeah. holder of favorite piece of TV, which I, I don't really have a huge leg to stand no, on. No, but at least it's respect, that's respectable. Yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> I, I think it's it's a safe choice. Uh, pretty pretty universally cra- praised. Um, this movie, however, it plans to use all of that Southern Gothic, all of that Southern decay uh, for its horror. Um, themes of decay, disturbing, eccentric characters, Poverty and, of course, lawlessness. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom, you ever walk into one of those butchers and you're just assaulted with the smell of smoke and meat and sweat? Okay, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I've walked into a butcher or two before. But it's not oh, like... I mean, I mean, there's, there's, there is a butcher that we, we both know. I don't want to dox ourselves, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to dox us, but, but it's got a it's got a. There's smell. a local butcher that when you walk in, you're kind of just assaulted hit, yeah. with the with I, this I, this this atmosphere. Yeah, maybe that's every butcher too. There, there's sure. a there's a coldness, a rawness to yes. it, quite literally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, when it comes down to it, you know, that sensory overload, that is what I perfectly describes this movie. Oh, I like that. This movie... Sorry, I walked all over the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, you, I listen, I know you know this I butcher I, I'm talking about. I think I know what you're talking about. Apparently not. <laughs> but, you know, that sensory overload, that's what this... This film really, you know, just just reeks of. Yeah. Uh, it reeks of a of a hot, disgusting summer day, and uh, against all of my all of my expectations, is really the best part about the horror. The best part about the horror is 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 oddly not the the chainsaw mm-hmm. or the massacre or you know anything like that. It's really how everything is kind of built up to be a deeply disturbing experience for our characters and really anyone. Yeah, uh, it's a feeling evoked through the screen. Yeah, that you're picking up on, which is great. Yeah, 
I mean, I was ex- really, really impressed with it. Uh, it's honestly shocking how much the scare is based on building this atmosphere, too. Uh, despite the title's intentions, some of the scary stuff is in, in the establishing moments. A good example are just the many unnerving shots of creepy, creepy scenes and sights along the way. Uh, a nest of, uh, of spiders just like spilling over, hmm. you know, random teeth and bone that you just automatically wonder, hey, how'd that teeth get there? I I, I don't know. Who's teeth are those? You know, these scenes are are handled without any spike in tension and are unsettling because we are only left with our imagination to seek for answers. If anything, this movie is textbook example of how not to do jump scares, and the few that are thrown in are stylistically uh, tied to the sound of a chainsaw. Hmm. Again, I think that kind of even reinforced this atmosphere core. The There's really no jump scares in the way that we know jump scares modern uh, in, in kind of a modern film landscape. I think that's cool, though. Yeah. I think, and uh, funny, 49 years later, kind of refreshing yeah. to be back at the simplicity of this kind of. Absolutely. As you were saying, talking about the beginning, and even mm-hmm. though there wasn't necessarily anything truly scary, scary on film, but mm-hmm. it's building that feeling. That reminds me, just you talking, it's like, oh, maybe this is like the first 15, 20 minutes of deliverance, kind of. Uh, sure. Where you're immediately kind of just unsettled. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, uh, it's very important to kind of recognize deliverance coming out in 1972, two years later, mm. that same kind of concept of fear of lawlessness, fear of... South uh, and openness. Yeah, and openness yeah. and no help in sight mm-hmm. uh, and, and no civilization. I, I don't know for sure uh, as far as an inspirations uh, for the director, but definitely feels in line that it takes those concepts that we see in Deliverance two years later, clocks it to a full horror. Yeah. Uh, and it's so great for that reason. The editing in this film is a standout, like I said, and kind of despite still a low budget with this, for being an indie production for the time, I think it's very impressive. My praise here is equally for creative cuts, but also the restraint in certain scenes. We see both sides of this in the main chase with Leatherface. Um, As Marilyn Burns is running up the stairs, we clip back and forth between a chainsaw cutting down the door and her scrambling up further. And this plays with a cool time dilation that makes your hairs stand up, mm. not knowing when that door is going to break down. And time dilation is uh, another editing trick that we previously loved when we covered The Wild Bunch as well. It's just a, uh, a simple but uh, an amplifying trick to it. Um, and and even, even thinking back to that scene, there's really nothing spectacular around him cutting through the door and cutting back and forth to her running up, but... If anything, it takes such a long time for mm. her to get up the stairs. You just never know when that chainsaw is going to be right behind him. Right. And I feel like that conjures such a good horror for anyone that has run up after turning off the lights from the basement. <laughs> and, you know, you're trying to get away from it. Uh, you know, it's on your heels. Uh, it captures that so perfectly. There's also certain parts uh, of the chase that are left entirely unedited. Uh, my favorite being a long-range shot of the house with our characters' silhouettes growing as they come towards us. Just iconic in a great way. And again, just sold the fear in, in such a fundamental, primal way hmm. that uh, anyone getting chased at any point in their life can kind of, you know, it, it conjures the same feelings. Right, there. right. Uh, folks, uh, I, I gotta say, this is a scary movie for many reasons, uh, and, and, you know, like I started off, even the name itself 
strikes fear, just saying it. But for me, the fear worked as a nightmare amplified version of a great 70s film like we talked about already, 1972's Deliverance. On the surface, you might say these two films are alike because of Psycho Hicks, but I think it's much more than that. I think it it's that the fear lies in true isolation, a fear without consequence or laws or morals, far away from any help, and far away from judging eyes, and as a horror under those circumstances can reflect the darkest pit of what man is capable of. This film was originally marked as being based off of true events and partially inspired by real psychopaths like Ed Gein. So believe me when I say the authentic dread that you experience watching this film is what makes it an all-time great. I had a wonderful time watching this film. This is without a doubt the best of the horror season. We're given Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974. A well-deserved 86. Whoa, whoa! A must-watch. You surprised me on that one big time. (laughs) I can't believe you liked it that much. I I thought there must have been some sort of age dripping off of it or something. I'm surprised I didn't have more gripes with it. I feel like it's so cut down to the bone. I mean, it is is exactly what you want. To the point. Man, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's an hour and 23 minutes. Oh, right. I know. Just just an absolute delight. I'm telling you. 86%. I'm telling you. It it is a must-watch. It is... Honestly, in looking back at what I could have covered this week, yeah. mainly Exorcist 1 as a, 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 sure. you know, a peer must-watch, I really did want a heavy hitter. And not that I was going in looking for that, uh, but more so something that I realized as the film went on and as I went for a rewatch again. Again, my mark is that if I am oh within an already busy week... That's true. That's true. Yeah. You know, uh, making time... Making out of my own time to go back and watch something again. I mean, that that's the mark that I know. Holy so, shit. 86% for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow. Great movie. I'm glad I'm happy for you. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know if we're going to be able to reach that again here in a little while. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I didn't know that it was based on some true events, though. Yeah, the original marketing of the film, uh, it said based off of uh, a true story. Uh, that's really not the case, but there's a lot of parallels between the Hick family we interact with and a uh, a real life serial killer from the fifties uh, named Ed Gein. Okay, uh, same that, kind that, of deal, like yeah, dismemberment yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that that's a uh, you know I'll leave it for the the true the true uh, you know uh, crime podcasts out there. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Ed Gein was um, was someone that, as far as kind of a psycho craze, mm-hmm. uh, really captured a, a lot of um, a lot of attention for that reason. Apparently as well. Ed Gein has uh, some slight inspiration to Hitchcock's original Psycho in 1960 as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Who is the put the lotion in the basket guy? Is oh. he based on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre a little bit? Um, Possibly maybe being a little bit backwards. I wouldn't I wouldn't know too much. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I... I certainly don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay, all right. So we'll keep on going here. Let's jump to 1986. Great, Finn. Great. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. It, it, it almost it makes me want to watch it. <laughs> almost. Um, almost. All right. So we're jumping to 1990. This is Jacob's Ladder, directed by Adrian Lynn. 
And why don't you get into this a little bit? Why this one? Or am I, am I just a little ignorant on this one? Uh, no, no. Uh, Jacob's Ladder is definitely kind of an oddball pick. Okay. This was on my list forever as one of my, my buddies, Jesse, uh, he says that it is is one of his favorite horror films. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, so again, you know, just kind of chipping away through the many, many movie lists that I have. What I'll say is uh, I would like to start with saying that this is uh, a horror that comes from the writer of Stuart Little 2. <laughs> Stuart Little, two, two, <laughs> two, <laughs> and uh, man, I, I just love that so much. That's that, that's that's that really just made my week. Just finding out that among the many things he's written, uh, Stuart Little two is in there. That's, that's just great. He also did Ghosts with Swayze the very same year in 1990. Oh, so wow. this is a big year for our guy. Uh, this is a cerebral lead role for Tim Robinson. Last time we covered him, he was playing a dumb jock in Bull Durham. Uh, so I want to start out with some highlighting some performance because this is no average horror movie and really could be seen as a psychological drama just as equally. This also comes from director uh, Adrian Lin, who I, you know, I can't say will be returning to anytime soon, folks, but he definitely has some notable works, um, maybe most notably Fatal Attraction uh, that we might return to at some point, but who knows? No, no director study on him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we start our story in Vietnam uh, with a near-death experience for Jacob Singer, but his trauma starts even earlier than that. In a stream of unconscious uh, storytelling, we weave together the pieces of his current life in 70s New York, but his existence is a feverish scramble, uh, a real nightmare, as he suffers from abstract and disturbing delusions. These delusions start to overlap with the experience of his old squad members, and that forces him to unravel what this nightmare really means. It's almost like a conspiracy horror uh, in, in a lot of ways. Mm. Not as a knock, but it was honestly my gut feeling. It almost feels like something that Nick Cage would pick up. Oh. Uh, <laughs> just in just how cerebral it is. Sure, yeah, times. yeah. You know, the way that Jacob experiences jump around really sells the psychological aspects here. Uh, the movie will bob in and out of sanity, fueled by his PTSD from the war. Uh, this is, of course, shown through horror concepts, but also in so also socially in how strange and hostile the world around him is. And let me tell you, the atmosphere created by this is horrifying at times. Uh, the nightmare that creeps into Jacob's reality is disturbing in ways jump scares could never achieve. It's Honestly, so shocking sometimes that when when uh, something scary is shown, it feels like a jump scare because you just have such a visual experience to it. Mm -hmm. I want to give some serious praise here on this note. You know, these these kind of hellish manifestations of his mind uh, and how they torture our characters is very close to the video game masterpiece Silent Hill 2. Uh, on the surface level, both share a love for kind of distorted faces that are smeared into not having any kind of recognition and to be blank, and also sped up movements in the edit to give kind of an unholy speed to them jerking around on screen. This movie doesn't reach the heights in the scares of Silent Hill 2, but is very similar in its psychological deconstruction of our characters and how that is used against them and ultimately where the story goes. Mm, okay. Um, and I, I will say Silent Hill 2 specifically. Silent Hill, you hear it, you think of maybe, oh no. <laughs> I know the word Silent Hill. Maybe I, I forgot how much you weren't <laughs> yeah. into horror, Tom. Or video games. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I know the names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but Silent Hill kind of gets perverted as far as the original concept. Two is the Holy Grail, uh, and it's because of this kind of psychological deconstruction. Okay. Uh, and Jacob Ladder, Jacob's Ladder absolutely rep- resembles that. Is Silent, so. by the way, it's just tangent, Silent Hill 2, was that kind of new? Or is no. that old? Okay, okay. Uh, old? Uh, you know PT, though. Yeah, I don't consider that old, though. Yeah, but that's Silent Hill's. That was, uh, PT was a playable teaser that Kojima did. Uh, that's that right. Oh, and was, Silent Hill. It was meant to be Silent Hill, kind of a reboot oh, for was, it. Yeah, wasn't, Silent, wasn't that in um, production hell? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely a casualty of um, uh, Kojima splitting away from his Oh, company. and that was the first one? Uh, no, no, that or was, that was, gonna be that Silent was like Hill a 2. reboot, like a hype machine, basically, for a, re- a reboot okay. of the franchise. So when it's, so. Okay, so Silent Hill 2 is old, old then. Yes. Like way, yeah. way, way uh, before like that. PS2. Okay, I got yeah. you. <laughs> he's he's following. Well, PT was. I mean, PT, that's, yeah, yeah. that gets you. <laughs> right, right. But uh, honestly, <laughs> stay tuned uh, for our for our video game podcast. Yeah, yeah, A lot of good content. <laughs> I'm just as clueless. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, you stand along with it. You stay along. <laughs> I, I I really would be curious if you. Dive into any uh, of the horrors we covered this month. Out of out I of think, curiosity. I think for my birthday month, I'll do all horrors that oh, you haven't seen yet. Okay, all right, here we go. It won't be. I have five Ooh, ideas. Casper, you got five ideas on the table, by the way. For that, <laughs> you, you're already locked. Oh loaded. yeah, <laughs> it's great. Anyway, back to back to back it. to Jacob's ladder. <laughs> Another tangent. Uh, I would say, sadly, on the note of of how scary the film actually gets Mm -hmm. um that's where it gets knocked down a bit for me uh you know without covering spoilers i do like the ending of this movie but i could totally get why someone would get a bit frustrated with this about halfway into the film jacob goes from being a helpless victim to the nightmares around him to start to find some breadcrumbs breadcrumb clues some red herrings as well of how to decipher the mystery around him. And this is where I'm coming from and saying like this is almost like a conspiracy type of horror in a lot of ways. And okay. also a psychological drama more than a horror in yeah, some ways. Yeah, is this really a man chasing his sanity or to gain his sanity kind of? A- exactly. Okay. I, th- I think, uh, you know, as uh, per, per the name, the ladder is him kind of spiraling deeper okay. uh, into it, slipping down the ladder. Because so much of the atmosphere in the film is based on delusions, it's hard to tell what's really a clue and what's just a misdirection. Mainly, there is a nest of questions we have around his involvement in the war. Thematic parallels to Agent Orange are given, further pushing this kind of PTSD angle to the horror. But the movie pushes it all to the side pretty pretty significantly at the last moments. And I mean, really mean the very last moments. I wouldn't go so far to say that none of it mattered, but... It was a bit unsatisfying to have these threads abandoned, uh, especially when it was the best part of the horror. Mm -hmm. So without a doubt, folks, I think this is an even split between horror, drama, and mystery. And in such a horror-heavy week, uh, could be the balance you're looking for. Uh, I think this was a very unique movie with so much done to capture dreamlike sequences that are more strange and startling than outright scary. And that odd tinge of what separates this film from so much other horror, that's what really makes it well worth your time. I'm going to go ahead and give Jacob's Ladder, 1990, a 71. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, jumping in the 70, that's a pretty good movie then. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think there's a lot to love about that movie. It's just that 
be warned. And again, I, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to go into it if we covered spoilers. But um, you're, that, be, you're being pulled in a lot of different directions. Yes, and, and it feels like the answer or the resolution they chose uh, felt a little unsatisfying. Okay. At least unsatisfying in comparison to the other threads that were un- unraveling. How was Tim Robbins? Because I, I don't see him as some great actor, but he's really present in the '80s and '90s. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean. I, I can't say beyond like Shawshank, uh, I would right. say, oh, you got to see this. But uh, he, he does a good job here. And, and and like I said, bringing up in comparison, I believe two years earlier with Bull Durham, I mean, he shows a lot of range here. Uh, this is a tortured, PTSD, okay, you know, uh, veteran type of role. Uh, compared to just what he was just like some you know like horny dumb job baseball team. I mean, this it, came out it, ninety, and I think well, Bull Durham I think was eighty nine. Uh, eighty eight. It was eighty eight. Maybe yeah yeah. Okay, but so. anyway, right there. Yeah. Um, so I deleted it as a joke, but I said I was going to say a double header is with Hurt Locker in this, with how much of a oh, PTSD wow. spin it has. <laughs> that's pretty good. Seventy one percent for Jacob's Ladder. Yeah yeah, good movie. Good yeah, movie. that's that's awesome. And let's jump right away to two thousand eleven. And again, this one I had heard from you and other people. It's just like no no no, don't sleep on this next one. Yeah. It's the Cabin in the Woods, directed by Drew Goddard. And how did you like it? Was this just going to be that a, a typical schlock movie? We're in the two thousand. Is this going to be another one on the list, kind of? Or was there hype around this? Was it a big deal when it came out? What's Just tell us about it. I think it was absolutely a a massive deal when it came out, uh, being in the same realm of uh, Josh Whedon covering Avengers 1. You know, this was a a Hmm. huge deal uh, for Whedon. You know, folks, it's like I said, it's been a while since I mentioned this uh, movie on the podcast, but I feel like it's an overdue entry to cover this month. One, because it wasn't actually rated on on the on the back end score. Very surprising. Two, I was really like curious to go back and say, does this live up to the hype that it had in my head? So, you know, back- jo- Josh Whedon, by the way, writer, I yes. should say. Yeah. Writer here. Uh, and then also Drew Goddard uh, is uh, is a collaborator with him from his TV days with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a few other pieces. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Uh, I'll say this much. Uh, back when everyone liked Josh Whedon back in hmm. the early 2010s, uh, you know, please write in, folks, if you can kind of explain him getting canceled because it seems like he's just an asshole boss to me, <laughs> but uh, I'll leave that be. Um, this came out as one of the freshest takes on horror, being a mix of meta-horror tropes that had a self-deprecating spin for its comedy. Uh, watching this again, again in 2023, it felt more dated than expected. Honestly, I couldn't get it out of my mind that this almost felt like an early spoof horror movie from mm. the early 2000s, but with a heavier emphasis on horror over comedy. Honestly, it's Whedon's writing that leaves a distinct stain on the film. We live in a post-Avenger, post-Justice League world. Josh Whedon's dialogue Justice. is... <laughs> You've never League. heard that? No. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah that's, that's... Well, that's how you distinguish uh, Snyder Cut from original ah, of Justice course, okay. League. <laughs> that's, that's Justice League. You know, we live in a a world where Josh Whedon, Josh Whedon's dialogue writing is honestly some of the most recognizable, not because he's getting all the jobs in the world, because of how it morphed superhero films and how they feel mm. uh, coming off of Avengers and, you know, falling on his face with Justice League. My gut wants to say this movie falls in a good category, along with TV projects like Firefly and Buffy, mm. and, and it's mostly because uh, director Drew Goddard uh, worked with him back then. But I was seriously torn on how this movie comes off to someone not in the know, and honestly, if it works or not. Hmm. This was a challenge this week. I thought this was going to be an easy one. 
even to the point that I thought it was rated already. And I don't know, something about this, I was like, hmm, I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, almost that it was, um, you know, my my prior love for it, I kind of felt uh, a little embarrassed by. I was like, wow, is this. I Thank God it wasn't rated then. Yeah. I mean, it must have been. I wonder when the last time you really watched it was. Yeah, you know? it, it had to be on release. It had to be on release in 2011. So. I mean, that, yeah, that's going back. Yeah. And yeah. that's going back early. You know, that's still kind of in the beginning of when a lot of movies started to get bad. Mm. And we get into the superhero thing. And, you know, you weren't used to Josh Whedon's writing back then. Sure. Where sure. now. Really, it would be only off of Firefly. Right. And, and, and loving him. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. Talk about the ministry turns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, for the summary here, I'm going to give the goat away a bit normally, a bit more than I normally would, folks, and mainly because it's not really a twist to the movie. And secondly, the concept really is the best part. The concept, if there is a reason to watch the cabin in the woods. It's for the concept, okay. and I need I, to to accurately recommend that. I need to I need to dive a little bit into it. Uh, when I say cabin in the woods is a meta horror, it's because all possible horror legends, movie and otherwise, could possibly exist within it. We open on Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford, two dry office workers chatting mean, meaninglessly. However, through their dialogue and context, we begin to understand the nature of their job may not be so benign. This uh, massive facility they operate in is in charge of staging real horror events that mimic your average scary movie to real unsuspecting people. That group this time around is five teens falling into suspiciously typical roles, uh, such as the jock played by Chris Hemsworth, the cheerleader, the nerd, and so on. But things may not go so smoothly this time because something so cliche as a cabin in the woods wouldn't fool anyone anymore. Uh, my best elevator pitch for this is that this is the office space of horror. Okay. Um, <laughs> it is, uh, I mean, hell, that's, that's actually, uh, I'm realizing how long it's been since I've seen office space. <laughs> i to so. go back and watch that one. Yeah, yeah I yeah. like that a lot, though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like a, uh, you know, it's, it's mundanity around horror. You know, our characters often are so self-aware of things. Uh, that would typically happen in a horror that it allows them to talk about these concepts in kind of this uh, droll, everyday type of way and creates a cinema comedic tone to it. But unlike a meta script that you would find in something like Sc in the Scream franchise that kind of self-recognizes horror movies, sure. uh, this horror awareness is a lot more broad uh, and that's where the film gets exciting and isn't just like a rewash, a rewash of remix of a screen type of concept. Uh, I also think that if you view this movie as a comedy first and a horror second, that it makes up a little bit for the cringe I mentioned I was experiencing with the writing. Mm. I feel like go into this first as a comedy and you'll understand that I, I guess it, I guess where I uh, it's really not trying to be a comedy in any like it is taking itself no it, it's definitely comedic it's, it's billed as a comedy yeah, okay alright yeah cause I mean this whole office side is it's all about it's so ridiculous okay, yeah, yeah yeah and at the expense of these victims mm -hmm. and, and the horror but yeah yeah I, I, I think that that's the best way to kind of navigate around some possible Again, for lack of a better word, cringe that you would get with Whedon's writing style and, and, and Goddard's writing style as well. They're both writing on this. I really do think the, you know, the office side of this story is why it's worth your time. Mm. 
it's interesting unraveling how deep this organization goes. And it's funny having office workers sacrificing people in white collar clothes and referring to it as, you know, another day uh, around the water cooler or something like that. You know, there are many funny performances in the film, but Richard Jenkins specifically kills it in this. Uh, he has the same kind of exhausted tone as he has when he plays the dad in Step Brothers. Step, yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is coming off, you know, very recently, you know, that's that was probably his brand at the time. Uh, but it, it really is the best. He's he's so funny in this and he's so good and and plays to such a such a a cynicism, such an assholeness to it. It's just so great. So great. <laughs> is he in it enough to, to make it? Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, so much so that, again, uh, for someone that hasn't seen this, the very opening scene are these office workers. Right, That's right. why I wouldn't consider it a spoiler. Yes, I'm giving away the concept a little bit more than I normally would. It's so right there. The very first scene yeah. is you're around a water cooler and they're talking about, oh, Japan's not doing that well this month or right. something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there's there's uh, there's more to it and and it gives you that right away to to pay attention to it. So I think it's a, it's it's a horror only for horror movie buffs and a comedy for everyone else. And I think that's my where my recommendation falls to kind of balance things. Okay. Okay. A spooky comedy certainly, but a comedy. There is enjoyment to be gained out of seeing references, but I, I think the movie works on a fun, absurd premise rather than actually being scary. Um, I always thought this movie was rated uh, on our side, folks, uh, like I said, but it really turns out it wasn't. So this is a well overdue uh, to get uh, such a unique movie on the podcast and give it a watch if you haven't before we're gonna go ahead and give the cabin in the woods 2011 a 68 okay 68 we're not doing too bad uh this episode here yeah it's going well it's going well, <laughs> it's going um, well. okay i think a 68 percent is actually pretty good for that movie i yeah. mean like i said i heard good things about it i heard you talk about it before <clears throat> but now that breakdown of it it doesn't it's 68 i think pretty pretty good yeah for what I'm it's like, worth in my mind I thought it was somewhere in the 70s, but low right. 70s. So, okay. I mean, is it is it really splitting hairs over, you know, a single-digit score difference? I don't know. But but it, either way, though, I think um, uh, watching it again, I don't know. There was there was just such a, a gut reaction. Yeah, it's good like, that you were able to break that down. Yeah, yeah. Like comedic versus actual horror aspects to it. Yeah, and, and, and again, for, I'd for be just very curious of someone that doesn't know Josh Whedon, only knows modern superhero films watching this film and being like, wow, this is what, what, what is this dialogue? It's very quippy, it's very snarky. So, uh, I'd be, I would hate it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah, you might yeah. hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's already an uphill battle for horror, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I kind of was thinking that this was a different movie as well. Oh, okay. Um, so I kind of had this in my mind, but also a completely other movie <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> <as well. laughs> and then it ended up being The Strangers, the Liv Tyler one. Oh. And I hear very good things about that one as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, A Cabin in the Woods as far as like, right, the trope right. of it. Yeah, so. I don't know if that's rated either, actually. No, I, I've never seen that movie. Oh, really? Yeah, no. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, next October then. <laughs> one film I could be excited about that. Oh, right, right. Listen, folks, before we move on to our new movies here in theaters, we just want to remind everybody that we are totally and completely producer-supported. So basically, Vin and I will sit down and we host this show. We don't want to look at you as listeners. We would love to look at you all as producers. And how you can be a producer is you go to thedailyratings.com, you go to the donations tab, 
And through monetary support, you actually become a legit producer of the daily ratings. I mean, it's just like any executive producer, normal producer, associate producer. Well, I don't know about associate producer. <laughs> Sometimes those guys just get coffee. But an executive producer... <laughs> The point is, you're financially supporting the show legitimately, yeah. and any of you who do go to the daily ratings and, and throw us some money, uh, we can't thank you enough for that. In the process of doing that, you can write a note with your donation and send it in, and this segment of the podcast right here, that's where we're actually going to read the note. So if you have comments and critiques or just you know small commentary, we're going to read it, but also it's your time to ask us questions if you have any or sure. or provide any, any any helpful tips or the show because your producer could be shifted in a different way or you think it would be better doing sure. things this way. Yeah. Um, we would love to hear that, honestly. Uh, on the social medias, we had some engagement with uh, people saying about a, a guest segment, uh, you know, mm, where, where sure. guest op- you know, opinions or, or, or thoughts on movies or anything like that. Guess what? It's already baked right into the show. Uh, as far as our engagement with you, we want to hear from you. We want to hear how the podcast is maybe changing how you're watching movies, but most importantly, what passion you have to the movies you watch on your own as well. Absolutely. And it might sound like this is a Patreon, but this is not a Patreon thing because Patreon is tier structures. We don't deal with tier structures because 100 bucks to you could be way more for this person or a smaller amount for this person. You know, if five bucks is a lot of money to you then you sending us five bucks is a really big deal, and we appreciate that. So it's really whatever amount of value you feel you're getting from us, whether it be 20 bucks a month, which you can do because there's monthlies, there's a weekly, or if it's just a one-time random number that you feel like you're getting from us this week or the past few weeks you've been listening, just go ahead and send that our way. That's the value for value way, kind of. And we want to stay away from corporate advertising or want to deal with advertisers. Advertising has been really weird and bad lately, Mm. And also, I've been noticing it more and more on podcasts I listen to. Oh, sure. I got to tell you, it really breaks things up. And it's bad. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, There's some very serious podcasts I listen to. Mm -hmm. And then just to be broken up Mm. and into an underwear ad or into the freaking (laughs) Rough Greens ad for your dog food or this or that. And it's it's amazing how many of these podcast hosts are on the same exact medication. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It, it's just, it's really not good. It doesn't make a good product. And we're all about doing the best product that we possibly can here for you. So any amount of money that you donate our way is is a huge idea. So it's a value for value model. The idea is, are you finding this valuable at all? And that's value in your pocket. Could you send us some value back in our pocket? Again, it's the dailyratings.com and you head to the donations tab. So it's right there on the homepage on mobile. It's up there in the top right corner of the screen um, if you're on desktop or something like that. And if you're interested in the newsletter, the newsletter comes out every Tuesday morning or late Monday night. <laughs> and uh, it's just your weekly movie news. There's a lot of other stuff in there that's kind of fun, but it's um, it's got some good stuff to click on, and we're not going to pitch products to you. Same deal. We're not going to flood you with advertising. It's just a great little newsletter every week. You can find that at the bottom of the website. You just put your name and email in, and you can get that every Tuesday morning. Again, it's dailyratings.com, and we thank you all so much. All right, Vin. So here we are, episode 104, newly released. Mm. Another two spookies, so let's do 10 first? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and do Saul 10, directed by Kevin Grutert, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one, I've actually, I read two articles that it's getting a little bit of hype or that people are enjoying it, and uh, how did you find it? And <laughs> would you agree? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about enjoy. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, folks, if there was another 10 spot to do this year, it was for James Wan's original baby, uh, the undisputed king of 2000s, Saw. 
Uh, each film is largely uh, a different twist, a different mystery, uh, a breadcrumb story stringing you along. And for my curiosity, we could possibly rank the VFX in each of the torture machines that come for the series. Then again, maybe they're all the fucking same. <laughs> and that's why we, we, we got away from it. Man, that. I can't believe it was 2000. We now have 23 oh, yeah. years of Saw. Uh, no, well, first one's 2004, I want to say. Oh, okay, that yeah. makes a little bit more sense. But so. of the 2000s, gotcha. we have yearly releases pretty much until, I want to say, 2011. Like, every year there's another They were hitting song. really hard? Yeah. And were that, was that all Juan-heavy? Uh, Juan is actually the only original, original one, uh, and then he gets passed off. Uh, okay, but gotcha. uh, if anything, I mean, it shows how James Wan is a kind of an IP, horror IP machine that he kind of just pumps them out, creates them, and then lets them run. Let's it go. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But uh, like I said in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre review, uh, like Exorcist this episode, I didn't want to watch series. I wanted to watch a variety of horror, preferably new ones, preferably get them, getting them off my list. <laughs> Way back when, my history with this is uh, the original in 2004... I want to say maybe early 2010s, I checked out the original trilogy out of curiosity. And okay. I was just kind of shocked with the quality drop-off of these yearly releases as they go. I mean, that first one is pretty good, but man, do they just like get like progressively like really bad. It's kind of surprising because yeah. I think they do well financially, so I feel oh, like they sure. would like up it a little bit. Like yeah. even Insidious has gone up just a tiny bit. Sure, you know, sure. For, for money. Yeah. Uh, sometime later, I watched uh, 2017's Jigsaw uh, on a date that was uh, pretty boring. Uh, I rated this on our side with a whopping 32. The date, I would give a 55, probably. <laughs> uh, and I feel that I was the most curious for the series uh, in 2021 with Spiral coming out. And there was uh, an attempt at flirting with uh, more storytelling outside of the torture porn that comes with this series. Mm -hmm. But apparently that movie is hated by fans and non-fans alike. So go figure. Okay. And I never saw Spiral. <laughs> so that, that's, that's my the brief history with the Saw franchise. In Saw X, the timeline of Jigsaw's life is stretched so thin that we jump back to much earlier in his bloody legacy. And this tells the story of Jigsaw getting cancered, uh, cancer and being swindled by a group of scammers, giving him the targets for his latest God Complex ego trip. More of a direct spotlight means more time with some solid acting with Tobin Bell. And I really do want to mean that. I mean, Tobin is, it does a great job as Jigsaw. He's menacing, he's, he's uh, compelling to watch on screen, and... This has a huge amount of time with him. Okay. Uh, if anything, to a little bit of a detriment uh, that I'll get into in just a moment. And has so. he been the guy? Oh, yeah. He's Jigsaw. Okay. But, I mean, for like 10 episodes, for 10, uh, that's what I'm saying. We're going to get into slight spoilers for Saw. Uh, uh, in and out, Jigsaw Jigsaw passes away at some point in the series. Okay. And then okay. he has copycat killers. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. Uh, that's actually a great mile marker for how much you are not a horror <laughs> fan that you didn't that know, didn't that. know that. Yeah. that's that's really fantastic um, <laughs> you know he, he's just doing a great job being the most menacing civil engineer imaginable <laughs> you know folks if I had to chart the quality 
and my interest in this story for Sautem, it would be a steady, sloped decline, however. Um, the longer this movie goes on, the less creative it gets, and almost on every single front gets just worse and worse. Uh, I gotta be honest, I think the positive reception online of this is absolutely fueled by this being more of a fan film than other Saw mm. entries. Okay. This is kind of telling a black spot, um, or a blind spot, rather, in Jigsaw's history. I think the objective of this film was giving fans what they thought they wanted. For me, not as a fan, uh, but still appreciative of Saw's horror. I thought this was uh, this was not good. This was <laughs> this, really this got just straight up, almost almost compounding weaker and weaker and weaker as it goes on. It just it just continued to make a mess uh, of its own of its own story of the twist, uh, and even getting weaker on VFX and things like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It was surprising. That oh, I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, Tom, I, I like to stay away from as much critique as possible, but this movie, uh, I, I mean, it, it is it is. It is boring. It is, it is very boring in how the the mystery unfolds. Uh, there's just way too much talking. Things are laid mm. out without any need for imagination or puzzling it together. Probably worst of all, flashbacks happen for lines that were said less than ten minutes ago. Like I kid you not. Like, <laughs> what do they think uh, of the teenage crowd? Are they goldfish? Like, like how could they not remember what happened moments ago? Okay. And any allure towards the mystery is set on cruise control the moment the main death traps kick in, with far too much exposition given to criminal victims the victims that are in these death traps they're just like way too in the know uh, the horror need to be the horror needs to be concocted by fear of the unknown and fear yeah, of totally who is this yeah exactly yeah. this kind of revenge plot of jigsaw very specifically getting back at people that have done him wrong directly mm. rather than in other in other saw movies it's always punishing in kind of this like god complex of people that are doing wrong but not connected to jigsaw in right any way. right hmm. them having beef uh is is the achilles heel of this film it just it's a great point actually yeah, yeah. Uh, it just removes it all uh all, all the allure uh, of that type of mystery and and going back to saw one that's what it all is all about saw one is so good is because it's 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 connected to its mystery hmm. and piecing that together the movie also leans into this vigilante angle more than ever, uh, to the point that it muddies the finale in such a blah end to the film. Uh, I mean, I was this is this is where again it was it was com a compounding slope that was uh, <laughs> it, it got faster and faster towards the decline. Uh, it, it really was ridiculous. And the story is, uh, just has so much runtime, making Jigsaw empathetic in some way that it lessens the terror and the pacing of the games, uh, the games he plays. There were also countless moral conversations thrown in behind the death traps that it just flat out weakened the raw, vicious appeal of seeing the gore on screen. There was just nothing there to leave to the imagination. It's the same way that these flashbacks just kind of came up every 10 seconds on screen. So, <laughs> so was it more than just, it seems like it was more then just pacing was an issue, although it seemed like oh, a big issue. Oh, yeah, no, no. It's it's how information is revealed. Yeah. It's how the mystery is laid out on high beams. 
it's a little messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's muddy because it has this focus that Jigsaw is almost like an anti-hero in this film. Mm-hmm. Again, that can very much play into people that want to see only Jigsaw. Guess what? That's you know you're getting what you want on screen, but I feel like it hurts the horror. And what is Saw but a horror? You know what I mean? <laughs> like uh, it's got it's got nothing else for it. It's the gore fest. So it's the gore fest. But um, I'll say we get a lot of mileage out of our director being a longtime editor for the series. Uh, Many scenes will be dead simple and are elevated by a fast barrage of techniques to sell the horror of the machines. The VFX around the torture machines is initially great. Uh, I really enjoyed how dark some of the death traps were and almost had this um, unique kind of industrial punk, punk design to it. This is featured very prominently on the poster of the movie, this kind of crossing vacuum tubes uh, being a nightmare silhouette. Uh, Sadly, because of the setting and because of the setup of the story, the torture gets less and less creative as we uh, go on. Jigsaw is in this revenge plot, so he really slaps together his arena fast to get back at the people before they get away. And as the movie goes on, it loses points where it counts most. Uh, Creative, fun traps are exchanged for more brutally simple designs, uh, which only continue to lose me. When the traps boil down to some chains being hung from a construction machine... So you were especially walking into it with the 10th one, thinking you were going to get some, some, you know, well-thought-out... Yeah. Crazy stuff that you couldn't imagine, basically. Yeah, and you yeah. get that initially. Um, these few that are a little bit more, um, I guess, produced, you could say, mm-hmm. um, more complex and more nightmarish as a result, uh, they happen in Jigsaw's mind in the beginning. He's kind of fantasizing about mm. doing this to uh, a kid that he sees stealing a watch or something like mm. that. Um, again, this, you know, his, his God complex is always running. When it comes down to that, those like imaginary death machines were great. Uh, they looked awesome. They look produced. They're, you know, they have this the appeal of saw death traps. That's like, why is this so complicated? What, like, <laughs> you know, and and that's where, you know, questions are asked from the audience and characters. All of that is robbed mm. by more exposition, more information for this kind of revenge story. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's it, yeah. It sounds like they're do- doing. It sounds like they're trying to do way too much when the. Sim- they need to boil it down to much simpler plot yeah. and just have more unique, interesting, and crazy contraptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, definitely more unique contraptions because I think they just, they just, uh, I mean, they're just so simple. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's not, it's not even inventive from a VFX type of thing. Like I said in the beginning of this review, if any, if there was any skin in the game for me watching 10 of these movies, it was to, it was to scratch an itch of like, hey, what's the best trap? You know, what's the best death oh, trap? Oh, that's kind of cool, yeah. You know, what, how, how do the VFX get better? How do they get worse? Uh, from, a, like, a film production standpoint, this would be close to the bottom for that reason because they're just so, like, uh, I don't know. It's an interesting point to how they... It's funny how they work it into the story of, like, oh, he had a rush. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was in a rush. <laughs> he just has to get to a construction yard, and he's like, all right, I got to get these people here. <laughs> so it's, it's just like, yeah. I mean, story-wise, I guess it makes sense. Uh, that they're simpler. Right. But, but, but it's laziness. It comes yeah, exactly. across as lazy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it feels <laughs> lazy and it robs what I think is, you know, one of the better qualities of the series. Mm-hmm. So it's a real shame. Uh, this movie goes from pretty good 
to not that good to kind of bad. Uh, seriously, it, it kind of went down in chunks of 10 for me as I was watching this. So, and, and all of it is pretty much connected to this muddy ethics in trying to make Jigsaw this anti-hero. The best part of this movie is its Achilles heel. As a result of being with Jigsaw more, traps are less inventive, the mystery is delivered with high beams on, and worst of all, this straightforward gore fest gets its priorities confused. We're going to go ahead and give Saw 10 a 44. Oh my gosh, 44. Okay, really not doing it for you. Yeah. I mean, the fact that this was getting like 80s, granted, you know, the, the curve I, is I, different. I, I, I don't uh, know, like, yeah. That really surprised me. I mean, the one article I, I read mm-hmm. was talking about like, oh, this is the first, finally, after after 10 movies, this is the first Saw that's going to be, that's critically praised or something, or has <laughs> yeah. Yeah, opportunity yeah. for like awards and stuff. Right, right. Okay, yeah, wow. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. 44% does not do it, though. <laughs> All right, so I'm glad we covered that first. The, uh, let's go on to the one that's really anticipated. This is The Exorcist Believer in theaters now. This is kind of a big deal. The original director just passed away this year. Yes. His last movie coming out this year. Mm. And let's just get into it right away. Sure. I, I, you were not excited for this film. No, no. No one was really asking for the film? Definitely not. Is, okay. <laughs> is it a special anniversary and that's why it's coming out in 23? Um, uh, possibly. There's there's a good mounting reasons of why this is the case, but Universal seems to have grabbed the license for it and partnered with Blumhouse to pump out oh. a new trilogy. So, yes, so I knew about the trilogy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, we'll see how that lands now, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, all right, let's get let's dive into it then. Why was this bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's 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 a good bit bad because no one asked for it for sure. That 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 kind of plays into it. You know, as much as this year has been covering the tail end of massive series, mm. you know, th- this is actually the start of a new trilogy being pushed out by Universal and an emphasis on being pushed because with production partners like Blumhouse, who needs friends? You know, they're, they're just going to pump it out anyway. The critical That's reception... disappointing. Yeah, yeah, you're telling me. They should have like partnered with like A24. That's, oh, yeah! That would have been cool. Absolutely! Yeah. Absolutely. The critical reception of this film is dragged through the mud. Uh, and I tried to stay away uh, from a lot of this, as, as with Saw, mm-hmm. and it just makes me wonder if... You know, this is going to be abandoned now with so much hate for the reboot before it even gets out of the gate. Yeah, really. I, did, I did read some some of that. Yeah. Right now, it's only announced that you have um, the sequel, Exorcist Deceiver, I think it's called. <laughs> Not a fan of Not that. Not a fan of that. can't say I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll just be a two-parter. I don't know. We'll see. David Gordon Green is kind of the best guy for the job, though, all things considered, uh, with a stacked resume, folks. Green has just come off of his moderately successful Halloween reboot trilogy from going from 2018 to 2022. So I guess the next logical step is him trying to do the same thing with yet another iconic horror franchise. Mm-hmm. You just kind of move on to the next one. He's like, oh, what, what came out in the 70s? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're doing Exorcist. Uh, mind-blowingly, we will see him pop up again with Pineapple Express when we return to the Aptow study. Did he write? <laughs> he directed, he wrote. Oh, he directed yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> David Gordon Green was a comedic director. Um, uh, among the writing team for this and that Halloween sequel trilogy is the comedic actor Danny McBride, believe it or not. 
Yeah. <laughs> Danny McBride did not do The Exorcist, though, right? Uh, or he only did the Halloween reboots. No, he's 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 on this writing team as well. Oh, no. <laughs> I love Danny McBride. Yeah, yeah. I went from not liking him to, like, I think he's one of the more funny, funnier guys oh, in the yeah. past 15 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't know he was helping with the screenplay <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the new Exorcist film. Yeah, and, and he was all attached to the, the, the three Halloween movies that came out. Um, looking back, you can actually see their collaboration goes deep with some of McBride's biggest hits like Eastbound and Down and Righteous Gemstones. Uh, so First season's great, by the way. Sure, sure. At Gemstones. Uh, so, uh, you know, fingers crossed we can uh, get back to David Gordon Green in his, in his element. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know... Like I said, I, there's almost no better man for the job if someone's really going to tackle this idea because uh, I'm not a fan of the Halloween franchise. Those trilogies were kind of spotty, but for the most part, like fans like them. Ho- hopefully, his element is in uh, is in comedy, and we can we can see that <laughs> with Danny McBride. In The Exorcist Believer, we see two girls from different sides of the tracks go missing, and spawns a frantic. Three days search to find them. Right when the tension between the families is at its highest, the children are suddenly found seemingly unharmed, if a bit traumatized. But the truth couldn't be further, as these little girls carry a dark presence with them that will test their bonds and create a scramble to look for answers for anyone that can give them. Uh, and I really mean anyone. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. I'll always praise the original Exorcist for its brilliant split focus. Um, and it's really why it lands on a must-watch for me. First half is structured like a medical drama, and then as a last resort, something darker is considered. Uh, in a direct nod, here we have the first portion structured like a missing child case, and even a similar medical drama once the girls are found. This was a great sign that the film understood what worked so well in the original. I mean, I really was mm-hmm. watching the first half of this film. I said, wow. They were matching. They, they know they what's were match- up. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they are aware of what is specifically great, if not all-time great, about The Exorcist. Mm. You know, this kind of misdirection allows the horror to creep in without getting stale. It's not going to over, uh, you know, overstay its welcome, and by the halfway mark, then they can clock up the horror to, you know, unreal highs, mm-hmm. and that's how you get Exorcist being, you know, one of uh, the most landmark movies ever to be released, horror or, or otherwise. Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry to say, however, that every ounce of what works in the first half goes out the window in the second half. I mean, <laughs> it is the most. <laughs> not stick the landing I've ever experienced maybe I mean it is it is ridiculous how it's just out the window folks um, the Exorcist franchise is a bit of an oddball in that the original sequels were not at all rehashes they weren't just like oh let's do the Exorcist again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they were all kind of just bold new directions that just didn't work Here, we have the opposite, uh, with nods to the original being a burden for the story. Much like Green's Halloween sequel trilogy, nostalgia for the franchise is handled by looping in original characters again. And hey, I'm not trying to take Jamie Lee Curtis out of a job or Ellen Burstyn out of a job, but the inclusion of Ellen Burstyn in this, as the mother from the original, is a definitive timestamp on when this movie starts to get really really bad oh no really yeah yeah um i thought bringing her in was gonna be like 
such an awesome thing, especially no. for the fans. It was going to be like epic. <laughs> I did. I thought it was like no, this. No. I like. Yeah, uh, not, not the case. Granted, I think that's what was so successful about his Halloween trilogy that it was kind of just calling back to very specifically Halloween one. Right. And that's you know you you're exactly right. I think that's what fans wanted to see, but. Here, um, not necessarily connected to to Burston uh, specifically, because she's really not around that long. Let me tell you, it's just it's just such a perfect mark of when things start to go south for this film, hmm. uh, and where all this hate online comes in. On top of her inclusion being pointless, it starts a downward spiral of what becomes the focus for the finale. By this point, the story has slowly peppered in characters from many different faiths. You, we have kind of like a Southern Baptist type uh, style guy. There is a voodoo alternative medicine girl. Um, there's a normal Catholic priest. There's a, just a spiritual guy. You know, there's there's a, a lot thrown in there for supporting characters. And initially, I enjoyed this. Characters were scrambling for answers anywhere they could get them. That honestly is again the root of what makes Exorcist One work. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, this makes the third act of the film extremely unfocused, as we don't have a singular grasp on what the rules of the demon are, mm. and the actual exorcism is, believe it or not, Tom, a rallying of all spiritualism and all religions in like a Avengers, wow, Avengers. style. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Faith Avengers. Yeah, the Faith Avengers. Oh, this sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, um, I kid you not. It's I mean, maybe maybe not specifically Avengers, but it is a team up uh, story arc. Uh, it's, oh my gosh. it's it's people of different backgrounds coming together to overcome. You know, it, it, it's it's and different it's faiths, like people. Yep. Yeah, yep. it is. It is. Yep. Oh my god, it would be cool. And take Ugh. and taking turns on the exorcism, and it's just like this is. The worst. <laughs> this is so bad. You know, don't get me wrong, folks. This, this type is like this is like this is like Pokemon trying to take down like the big bad guy. Like, it's like Mewtwo or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, Pikachu my ability doesn't up. work for this, but you need to do your thing. <laughs> you should match each of the faith people with, with either a Pokemon or an Avenger. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Who's Iron Man? Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and it's also so bad because clearly, like, some of them have lesser things to do. Like, that Southern Baptist guy, he's just, like, in the background. He's just like, he's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, come on. You know, it's it's it still does, like, some of these supporting characters oh, dirty. Oh, my um, God. That's, that's really funny. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I to see this movie now. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this type of kumbaya approach between all the religions weakens the focus of the whore. And felt very cartoonish. Even if it doesn't feel cartoonish, folks, it weakens what the horror needs to be focused on. Mm -hmm. The whole point in my praise of, wow, they understood the structure, the skeleton of Exorcist 1 so well... It means nothing if the when they have to clock up the whore, the yeah. whore is not there. The, the, the plug's not in. Really, it just kind of falls uh, it, flat. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying this has to be Catholic or bust, but a singular <laughs> focus. I know, yeah, go back to Pope's exorcism. Right. You know, I need some cool Catholic in this. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm not saying it has to be one religion or bust or anything like that, but what you get with that is a singular focus that allows anticipation to build around the demon. Flashback to our zombie special episode, and you will see learning the rules of the monster is how fear is translated to us as the audience. We need to know. The fact that yeah. these, yeah. you know, six-plus people in a room are just quite literally throwing different you know, spiritual tactics at the wall and seeing what sticks with these two little girls is not scary. It's, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of problem solving. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not scary at all. And it's ex- I, yeah, it's Exorcist Pokemon. That's what this is. <laughs> I can't get out of my head now. Spirit Pokemon, yeah. that's great. <laughs> Uh, you know, a- as a result, the stakes are so poorly communicated, and the entire film really isn't scary. You know, unbelievably, mm. Green has created a film that understands the DNA of what makes the original an all-time great, and I really mean that. It's 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 a tragedy how the dominoes are set up near perfectly, mm. or as perfect as they could be in the first hour of the film, and doesn't even come close to sticking the landing. We're going to go ahead and give The Exorcist, Believer, believe it, it's a 29. What? Yeah, believe the hype on this one. It's that bad? Yeah, it's really not good. I did not think it was going to be. I, it just how could you botch it? You have su- I mean, you right. have such an important IP. All right. 29. We are in a sliding sky yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, did this. you know that? <laughs> We don't have many of these. As I was describing uh, how Saw 10 felt, I I realized that (laughs) the episode as well mimicked that. Wow, a 29% is really, really bad. To to the extent where if um, contracts are signed and things are in the works already Mm. for Universal, I mean, God knows, you know, hey, what's the one? Was it HBO or Warner Brothers, whatever? They Mm. were willing to cut in an entire Batman movie? uh, What movie did they cut? Um, No, Catwoman movie. Oh, maybe, maybe. Right? Didn't they cut it? Michael Keaton was in it, and and, oh. and Brendan Fraser was in it, and they cut oh, it completely. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I know there's a, there was a lot of casualties in the DCU falling, so. Yeah, no, it was that movie was going to be so terrible that wow. they just cut it. What the hell movie was that? Anyway, the point is, it's because you can just tank a movie, and then you're going to get yeah. some at least insurance money back. Sure, So, for instance, sure. the latest Mission Possible ended up getting close to, I think, actually breaking even at least. Oh, really? Because they got so much money back due to insurance reasons still coming off of COVID stuff. Oh, very interesting. um, And affected things in that nature. But anyway. And certainly Blumhouse is no stranger to just pumping it out. and and, and Schlock. Regardless. This was Blumhouse Schlock. Once again, 29%. The thing is, though, because you have a big boy like Universal, and because you might have already had things in place because it was already supposed to be a Mm -hmm. trilogy, Maybe it's a good thing that this is so bad. Yeah. Because this guy and this team is going to be beaten down so much right. that they're going to have to listen to the fans on this one. Sure. And but make all kinds of corrections. Yeah. And say clearly what we the direction we want to go doesn't work. And if it's this bad, then they can auto you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I think all things said, uh, all things considered, deceiver or whatever the sequel will be called. I mean, I think it might be even better if it's just kind of a one two, you know, what I, I didn't find much sequel bait in this movie, believe it or not. And I can't but believe I'm good. saying I mean, that it, in the year of cliffhangers right. that is 2023, you know? Which is a good thing. Yeah. It's just I, the same that, that that last hour sank, tanked that film so bad for you. It, it, it's tanked the film because it was it was perfect build-up. Right. And then did nothing with it. Uh, and Very uh, weird. Yeah, and just, just... So Believer, and then Deceiver. Deceiver. And Three will be Achiever. 
That's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Exorcist Achiever. And then it'll just be a comedy. Full. Yeah, because anyone can achieve it. I'd like that, actually. And yeah. it'd just be, it could just be a full-on comedy, then, if you want it to be. Uh, okay, 29%, Vin. Uh, listen, man, looking at all these scores here, anything you want to touch on, talk about in the future, or uh, roll credits here? Oh, just, just watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was yeah. so good. It was so simple. And so actually scary. We've been talking about this for a minute now on the podcast, but I'm not expecting to walk into horror movies to actually get scared. I am a grown man now. Right. I, I can separate almost every element out of actually being scared. Especially f- post-podcast. Yeah. and uh, Right, right, exactly. Yep. Because of how many movies I'm watching as well. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that... Texas Chainsaw actually kind of got me a little bit. Oh, it was so weird and strange and and disturbing. And man, I, I just I, I was in love with that film. And and happy to say that out of watching, you know, yet another October with so much horror that yeah. something that good came out of it. You know, that's the juice for the squeeze. Yeah, for we sure. just had to go back forty nine years, basically, <laughs> yeah. and go back fifty years because it was the it is the fiftieth anniversary of Exorcist. Oh as yeah, well. yeah, yeah. And uh, boy, rest in peace, William Freakin'. Sorry. Yeah. That this- oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> I know. Um, by the way, you know the movie that came out at post. So the film, he finished the film in entirety. Okay, and all yeah. Added, I wasn't aware of this. Yeah, he came out with another film this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he passed away, but it was all done. And it just debuted at one of the major film festivals. Mm-hmm. One of those big fall festivals. Okay. If, had, if it was Telluride or uh, TIFF, TIFF. It might, yeah, yeah, it might yeah, have yeah. been TIFF. Yep. Uh, it's, you have no idea what it is? No. It is... <laughs> The Kane Mutiny Court Martial. No! <laughs> this is worse than Heat 2! Oh my god! And I think it might come out this year. So we have another Kane Mutiny to, to do. That's great. And it's literally a take on the old Kane Mutiny, I believe. Oh, sure, sure. I, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> all right, Vin. Uh, Vin, thank you for this spooky week here. This was enjoyable. Yeah. And I'm glad you had some goodies in here. I'm glad it was, Tom. We, we've got a great episode coming next week, too. And I think, like, Vin and I just put together a little list and i think it's kind of be good to push it out again we've done three octobers this is mm. kind of a genre we've, we've hit, we're hit really hard we mm-hmm. think we're just gonna like next week okay we're gonna run this down one more time here we have the texas chainsaw massacre with an 86 percent jacob's ladder with a 71 the cabin in the woods with a 68 saw 10 with a 44 and finally the exorcist believer with a 29 percent folks thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week on the daily ratings podcast hey if you enjoyed the podcast if you would give us a good rating or tell a friend about us if you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from vince be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films also if you found value in the podcast or our site become a producer and go to the donations tab on thedailyratings.com you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you see from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but we also really want to be independent from all those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.